Welcome back to another episode of KeepyCast. Are you hoping to learn more about unions or progressive movements? Then you're in the right spot. I'm Elise Leli, and my pronouns are she and her. I'm Brittany Nisbet, and my pronouns are she and her, and I'm reminding you that we're the only podcast of our kind, combining union info, pop culture, and more, kicking ass for the working class, one podcast at a time. Whether you're a member of QP, in a union, wish you were in a union, or just found us while browsing, you're definitely in the right place. And I'm Tiffany Balducci, she, her pronouns. And today we're going to be talking about how Ford effed us over. We'll be discussing how Ford's cuts have personally affected each of us and how it's impacted education workers, municipal workers, healthcare workers, and workers in the university sector and social service sector. We'll also talk about how we can ensure to take action so Doug Ford and his government are a one-term government and premier. You're listening to CupyCast episode 12, How Ford Effed Us Over. I can't believe that we're finally doing this episode. We have been talking about the cuts that the Timbit, also known as Doug Ford, has made in Ontario since this podcast started. I, I don't even know where to begin. I don't even know where to begin. Where where should we start? Who, who, who <laughs> well, I can start? definitely start. And thanks for reminding us, Brittany, of the very important Ontario <laughs> heritage moment of a child calling Doug Ford a Timbit. Um, but I can kick things <laughs> off because um, back when I was in 2019, I actually received layoff notice from my previous job because the Ford government implemented the Student Choice Initiative. Oh my gosh. Oh, that's horrible. What? Yeah. yeah. Shame. Mm-hmm. Thank you both for your solidarity. Um, So the uh, Student Choice Initiative, for folks who don't know, um, was made so that post-secondary students on college and university campuses could choose which ancillary fees they pay for and which ones they opt out of, which is incredibly undemocratic because the ancillary fees students pay have been voted on democratically by the student body. When the Student Choice Initiative was first announced, the Ford government also announced huge cuts to OSAP and a tuition freeze for domestic students, but not for international students. Yes. Yeah, I definitely remember this. Uh, And the Ford government thought a tuition freeze would distract students from the other cuts he announced, but it did not. Uh, We saw thousands and thousands of students rallying and demonstrating across the province against the cuts to OSAP and SCI. Um, which is the Student Choice Initiative, which impacted many students, especially young workers, who rely on the services offered by student unions and organizations on campus uh, who rely on OSAP in order to be able to afford tuition and other school-related costs. That is devastating. And actually, I, I remember my cousin was in university at the time, and she was at Ryerson and she was on the student paper and she was talking to me about how it was ne- the student choice initiative at the time was negatively impacting her and her friends being on the paper. It was it was crazy. Mm-hmm. It, it was it was so I remember she was devastated. She was afraid she was going to lose like her position on the paper. And like it was important that she kept it because that's how she was going to get the um, the experience so that when she graduated and applied for for jobs like in journalism it was crazy and this happened like way back in 2019 so some people may have forgotten so like super appreciate the reminder Elise and there's actually this like amazing tool created by the Ontario Federation of Labor so uh, in this podcast we call it the OFL uh, so they actually created a tool called the Ford Tracker and the Ford Tracker was made so it reminds everybody of all the cuts that the Ford government has made since their election in 2018 and you can check out the Ford Tracker at ofl.ca slash Ford 
dash tracker, but we'll we'll leave the link in the show notes for you. Yeah, I absolutely love the Ford tracker. Um, one thing that I really like about it is that you can use the filters. So if you're looking for a cut that was made in a specific sector, you can search for it. And then you can also search by date, which I also find really helpful. Yeah, I agree. I think the Ford tracker is is superb and ar- archived really well. And oh yeah, you know, yeah, it's it's a great tool. Um, I'm glad that they've done that because there's just been so much that's happened over what seems like a really long time <laughs> since 2018 because so much has happened, right? Yeah. And you know that that really reminds me as we're speaking of the university sector. Um, it just reminds me like over these years, the university sector has been seeing cut after cut after cut totaling you know millions of dollars our publicly funded universities are now being called publicly assisted institutions because of the lack of funding yes and we saw laurentian university in southern uh, in sudbury which is in northern ontario they actually filed for the process for companies creditors arrangement act so that's called the ccaa and so this is normally used by private corporations and like i cannot stress enough that is absolutely unheard of of a university using the ccaa because publicly funded universities should be fully funded by the government absolutely and this has been really really hard on the community in northern ontario as laurentian university provides many jobs to people in the community It's also really important to note that some of the program cuts we've been seeing include Indigenous language learning programs, as well as French language programs, which aren't as common across Ontario. And just for folks to be able to plug into some of the activist work that's happening in Northern Ontario, I encourage folks to check out Save Our Sudbury, and we'll leave um, their social media and ways to connect with them in our show notes. Um, I just, I can't, I think I just saw another article recently come out about it too so there's always lots of new yeah information i think there's it. lawsuits that are going through right now yeah. with more information yeah absolutely and so i guess we'll kind of segue a little bit and so from us to a different sector so i'm from the social services sector and from the social services standpoint ford super duper effed us over um so by lifting the mandates uh, a few weeks ago, so by lifting the co- the mass mandates and and the capacity mandates and using his terms, we're letting her rip. Uh, COVID is everywhere. Um, I feel like I was chatting with Elise and Tiffany or before we start recording, and I feel like every single day for the last week, I go on my social media and someone I know has tested positive for COVID. Yep. And it not even last week, maybe last week sure. and a half. And it's. Yeah. And I know I'm not alone. Like, I know you guys have seen the same thing. And like, we know lots of different people. So it's not even just like shared friends that we have, like, right? It's crazy. And so even like in my personal experience, the place that I work, so I work in a group home, they're actually, we're actually in an outbreak right now. Um, So in the last two years, we have successfully kept COVID out of the workplace and out of the group home, um, which is great. It's like, I can't, stress enough that like my coworkers and I have done absolutely everything we could to be as safe as humanly possible while we are out and being cautious and cognizant of what we're doing so that when we come to work, we're not risking an outbreak. And unfortunately, an outbreak has happened. And it's, um, it's different when you're in a, in a group home than if you live in your own place. So if I myself personally, not working in a group home, pretend like if I was to contract COVID, I would be on like a five-day isolation. And, you know, after the five days, as long as I wasn't showing symptoms, 
according to what I heard from public health, but I mean, it's always different, but I would be able to go and live my life after five days. When you live in a group home, because we're under the Ministry of Community and Social Services, there's different Mm. rules. So we actually have to isolate the folks that I support for 10 days. And isolation doesn't mean just like they're isolated to the house. Like they are all isolated to their individual bedrooms. Um, and so, but then as, as people who work there, we need to be protected. So, you know, we're supplied with our N95s and our gloves and our gowns and our goggles and our face shields, but it's a lot more work because we'll go into one person's room with all of our PPE on, we'll walk out of their room. We immediately take it all off. We put it, put new stuff all on, go into the next person's room. And on top of that, there are people that I work with who are also off. So we're super overworked. We're super understaffed. And it's just, you know, it's not a normal, I'm picking up an extra shift Mm -hmm. here and there, but it's not an extra shift in the sense of like a regular shift. It's an extra shift where I'm doing quadruple the work. Like, And I know that this isn't just like me. Like I know that we're seeing this in the hospitals too. And, you know, I I just, you know, but that's my personal experience and how like by lifting these mandates, it has extra effed Mm -hmm. me over and extra effed everyone over. Definitely. yeah, and like we're seeing this in the childcare centers, we're seeing this in the schools. So it's everyone is affected right now. That it's increasing everywhere. Yeah, and I think um, because there's an election on the horizon, the <laughs> Doug Ford government wants you know the messaging to believe that oh, if you do get COVID, it's just going to be a mild cold, or you know it's just a matter of time. Like someone, you're going to get COVID, so you may as well just get it over with type of thing. And I am yeah. seeing so many, and that's why we're not seeing. In my opinion, I'm you know I'm not an expert on these matters, but as someone who follows the news and is a political person, I you know I don't think we're going to see the mandates come back before the election. I'd be really mm-hmm. surprised, but mm-hmm. I am seeing so many, like you said, Brittany, so many anecdotes of of folks with COVID on my social media you know, throughout Canada, but especially in Ontario. And, and this does affect us all from, you know, so many people's children have it. They've yeah. gotten it in school or the, the elderly is, you know, coming back to long-term care environments or, you know, workers in all industries or, or non-workers. Um, so the mandates being lifted have had a horrible effect. And just, you know, as a side note, as, as a mother of a, of a baby, as a, of a child, you know, children under five uh, can't get the vaccine. Mm-hmm. There is no vaccine for them yet. Like, I just really ask for people to continue to wear masks because that's the only protection for these yeah. children who can't have mm-hmm. the vaccine, you know, besides just not leaving the house ever with them, right? So, um, yeah, so I know you're in the thick of it. Brittany, in, in the social services sector, and, and but this isn't the only way that you've been in the thick of it oh with gosh. the board government, right? No. Yeah. No. <laughs> no, I have so many more examples. I could, I could go on. So uh, yeah, so like at the beginning, and in, in, let's go back to 2019 again. Like let's, let's rewind back to 2019. And so, um, and I'm going to bring up the Ontario Autism Program. That has been Uh, uh, all the changes that have happened that program have been insane so my local not only do we represent people who work in group homes so developmental services we also used to represent workers in an autism program i say used to because ford took the funding for the programs out of the agencies where it was directly funded from before and so yeah so Yeah. yeah i remember you speaking about this before I think at a QP Ontario executive board meeting, it was discussed. Yeah, 
Yeah, you have a really good memory. So that would have been back in like spring of 2019. I think probably March we had a meeting and there was a rally at Queen's Park at the same time. So when Ford, quote unquote, restructured the Ontario Autism Program, he not only negatively impacted the families of children with autism, but he actually negatively impacted workers and my members as well. Uh, In my local specifically, we saw over 70 people, mainly folks who identified as women, completely laid off. That's horrible. Yeah, it, it super sucks and it gets worse. So some folks were on mat leaves and when they came back from their mat leave, they were given their two no. weeks notice. The entire unit collapsed. Yeah, it was, that's not, you know, I can't even imagine. And the entire unit collapsed. So what happened was when Ford took the funding from the agencies, he gave it to the families, but he only gave the families a fraction of what is actually Mm -hmm. needed to support a child who has autism. So the agencies had to switch to a fee-for-service model and the families, because they were only given that fraction, they couldn't afford it. They were being given between $5,000 to $20,000 a year, but treatment and support actually costs up to $95,000. Wow. Holy moly. Yeah, this is it's so devastating for families because um, they, you know, they need to make a choice at that time. Like I I remember talking to folks. um, We have a big crew in Durham called the Durham crew. And uh, I remember talking and and reading uh, about how some families sold or remortgaged their homes. Yeah. Uh, Some moved to other provinces um, and some were still able to find treatment for their children, but it wasn't the same treatment that they needed. It was, a, it was you know, something that they were settling for. Mm. Exactly. And I guess the bottom line here is that need-based funding needs to happen, but currently the family gets it the funding based on the age of a child. Um, but this is just a small summary of what's going on. I really have just kind of like told you little bits and pieces there is so much more detail and i could go on for forever uh but we have a lot of other things to talk about but i need to give a shout out to the ontario autism coalition because they are doing amazing advocacy work. Yeah, so I remember actually before at one point they were actually going to Ford's office every Friday, um, but I also know yes. that they have Twitter storms every Friday. So if you have Twitter, I super encourage you to check it out. Their Twitter handle is at ontautism. Yeah, and I, I've joined a few Twitter stars myself. They're so much fun. Um, but check out their website. So it's uh, OntarioAutismCoalition.com, and I'll leave that in mm-hmm. the show notes. There are some amazing resources, and there's so much more information. And there's actually like a complete history on all of this, so you can see how it's been a problem for decades before today, but how Ford completely effed them over. And yeah. there's also uh, a lot of information on the Ford Tracker, so you can check out the Ford Tracker too. Yeah, that, that's a great suggestion. And I think we also really need to talk about how Ford effed over frontline workers in healthcare, social services, and school boards with one foul swoop uh, with, you know, Bill 124, for example. Oh my gosh. That yes, uh, yeah. it's definitely a constant yo yo and back and forth for all frontline workers right now. Oh my gosh. Is it ever? So those of us who work in social services and healthcare and as school board workers have been severely 
severely underpaid for years, uh, decades, decades, mm-hmm. in fact. So I remember when I first became a developmental support service worker, uh, this was 12 years ago, I was told by somebody, you don't get into this job for the money. And, and it's true, you don't. Like I'm, I'm in this job because I actually care for the people that I support. I love my job. I love my clients. I work with an amazing team. And it's been, we've had our hard days, of course, like right now is really not great because we're going through a lot. But I, I really am proud of the work that my team and I do. And I'm really proud of the work that my members do. And uh, so, yeah, so I've been working for the same employer for 12 years and everything we have wage wise, we have had to fight through for the bargaining process. We have not seen a tangible wage investment from any government for an incredibly long time. And and I know this is not a job specific issue. This is seen across all social services, healthcare, and school boards. Yeah, definitely. And, and other sectors too. And it's terrible. Yes. Um, and just to be extra awful, Ford introduced Bill 124, as I mentioned, and that basically means those who work in public services, um, with the exception of municipalities, I believe Mm. we're the only ones not affected, uh, Mm. cannot make more than 1% over all total compensation each year for three years. So wage freeze legislation, essentially. Shame. Yeah. It's exactly. And so for our listeners, for reference, because I have no problem talking about this, 1% of my wage that I make on every hour is 22 cents. So for three years, the most I can see is a 66 cent wage increase. That's disgusting. That's not even, that's less than inflation. Plus, I know it has really negatively impacted the bargaining process because now bargaining committees can't bargain properly. It really takes away the bargaining committee's power. And I know, Brittany, you were talking about this before, that it's been something that you've been dealing with. Yeah, so I've been on the bargaining committee. This is my fourth year, fourth time. Uh, and our, our local is currently bargaining for our second collective agreement under Bill 124. So the first collective agreement covered from April 1st, 2019 to March 31st of 2022. So the one we are currently bargaining will cover the third year of Bill 124. So the rest of 2022. Mm. Um, and Bill 124 has completely stripped our power as workers. So generally, when you bargain, you want to leave financials to the end. But with Bill 124, we're, we're super restricted. Yeah. Yeah. And under Bill uh, 124, it says you cannot go and ask for a huge amount once you're out of the three years. So you can't be like, okay, we'll just make it up later Mm -hmm. for what you lost. And even if your employer, you know, has this great, uh, you know, you have this great relationship with them and they want to give it to you, they can't. Their hands are tied Mm -hmm. because it's legislation. Um, Mm -hmm. And before my mat leave began, I was prepping for bargaining with one of the QP 3902 University of Toronto uh, units. And then I was helping out with another unit with their bargaining. And we actually had a tool where members would write their MPP. This is before the legislation was finalized, um, reminding them that under Bill 124, a teaching assistant who typically takes in $17,500 yearly uh, would you know only make $70 more in 2020 than they did in 2019. Um, and there was other examples too, but basically, and then they, they compared it to, you know, the cost of how much, you know, the cost of living goes up in Toronto, mm-hmm. um, childcare, uh, you know, public transportation's gone up, mm-hmm. everything's gone up, but the wages mm-hmm. haven't. So how are they supposed to afford to live? Um, so mm-hmm. it's really backwards legislation that's, you know, 
promoted as, oh, people already have so much money, so we need to, you know, freeze the wages in the public sector. But one of the things that we found through bargaining was, um, well, one thing was, I think we there was a letter um, of understanding that was signed that that the collective agreement was signed, you know, under duress of Bill 124. That they that typically just like you know, 20 years from now, when when they look back and say, why didn't they? you know, ask for more, you know, wages at the table or something. Mm -hmm. There's a letter there that says that it was because of the wage restraint legislation. Mm -hmm. But also I know not just in this specific um, example, but other examples that that locals, they were able to focus on language or other Mm -hmm. non-monetary gains. So Mm -hmm. that was one way of of doing it, but it's still, it was still so backwards. And once again, directed at many marginalized workers. Yeah, it's it's a disgusting piece of legislation. It's absolutely disgusting. There is a silver lining, though. So hopefully, so because a uh, coalition of unions along with the OFL, they actually have a charter challenge against Bill 124 because it violates the collective bargaining rights in the freedom of association guarantee of the Canadian Charter of Rights and Freedoms. Mm-hmm. Yeah, let's hope that the challenge goes through sooner than later. It's already been a few years because things have been totally derailed and delayed from the pandemic. Derailed is definitely one way to put it. Remember the two weeks to crush the curve? This has definitely been the longest two weeks of my life. (laughs) Yes, definitely the longest two weeks um, of my life, too. So much has happened in these these, uh, quote-unquote two weeks, but... um, (laughs) Yeah, and uh, you know, we we saw the Ford government recognize frontline workers as being underpaid. Surprisingly, so during the pandemic, they have been given temporary wage enhancements. Um, some workers are receiving two, three, or four dollars an hour extra while working, depending on what their job is. Right, but like it should not. And I've said this before. It should not have taken a pandemic for us to be considered valuable and for our hard work to be recognized. We, we've we literally been here the entire time, mm. the whole time we've been here. Yeah. And, and to the same effect, there are so many frontline workers who have been excluded in this wage enhancement. And we have been told many, many, many times that like we've told, been told, quote unquote, that the temporary wage enhancement will be permanent, but we actually haven't seen it. Yes, mm-hmm. Bill 106. There is some info about it on the Equal Pay Coalition's Instagram page. Um, so Bill 106 was introduced at the end of March. And in the media, the Ford government has said many, many times that they are going to make the wage enhancement permanent. But w- Bill 106 actually doesn't do that. It doesn't even hold the government accountable. It says the word may throughout the bill, but it's not actually firm. It doesn't say will or shall anywhere, meaning it's not a guarantee of any permanent wage enhancement. Yeah, really good point there on the importance mm-hmm. of language as well in bills or in in collective agreements. Uh, we can't, you know, forget to mention how many of these frontline workers identify as women yet again. So not only is this Bill 106 a facade on how much the government doesn't appreciate women as frontline workers, but how the government doesn't value the work of women. So Captain Flip Flop Ford <laughs> has an easy out with the way this bill has been written. And speaking of mostly women in the workplace, I personally can't forget how the Ford conservatives completely effed over library workers beginning in 2019 oh, yeah. when they cut the two provincial library service budgets in half. Yes, this one really upset me. They all upset me, but this one like 
extra upset me because it caused libraries all over Ontario to end their interlibrary loan services, which is when libraries can share books with each other throughout the province. So basically, as someone who utilizes her local library all of the time, I could get any book that I wanted in the world through the interlibrary loan service. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and Tiffany, you actually shared a few tweets with us before um, from the time. Um, So it was uh, Dr. Jill Andrew reminded folks in a tweet, Doug Ford's vendetta against libraries started when he was a counselor. He said he would close libraries in a heartbeat and voted to cut $4 million in funding. Now as premier, he wants to cut Ontario library services. Shameless, end quote. And then also, uh, Jeffrey Canton quoted that tweet, but added, Doug Ford hates libraries because they represent everything that he's not interested in. Facts, credible information, imagination, possible futures, rather than closed doors. End tweet. Yes, and I couldn't say it better than better myself. So I'm glad that you shared those tweets because. And these cuts had ripple effects across libraries all over Ontario causing many budgets to be cut, um, services decline, and jobs lost. I I personally know uh, many library workers who uh, no longer work in libraries uh, because of the ripple effects that started here. And um, also, it it ends up costing more money in the long run because libraries have to buy the books that they could have Mm -hmm. just gotten from other libraries. So it makes no sense. And and there still are library warriors fighting these cuts. Um, you can follow them on Instagram or Facebook at Save Our Libraries Ontario. Uh, libraries are such an important part of our public infrastructure and, and the backbone of so many communities. And also, if you're listening right now and you don't have a library card in your community, please support your local library and, and go get a library card. They're free. I actually remember way back when the library cuts were happening that <laughs> there were some library-loving seniors and... Uh, and for the folks who are listening, they might remember this too now that I mentioned it. Uh, and they were in the parking lot at Sam Oosterhoff's office and they were protesting the cuts. Do you do you remember that? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So they were, yeah, because the, the group I was mentioning before, Save Our Libraries Ontario, organized um, protests all over Ontario. And didn't Sam Oosterhoff call the police on, like, it was like a senior book club, right? Yes. Wow. Yes, he did. Yeah. He's ridiculous. Yeah. He's ridiculous. I should actually, you know what? I should I should try and find these folks and see if they're interested in helping campaign for Dave Augustine. He's the NDP candidate in in that area. Yeah, Dave mm-hmm. Augustine's actually one of my really good friends, her um, uncle. And he used to be, yeah, he used really? to be the mayor of Pelham for a number of years as well. He sure mm-hmm. did. Um, but uh, did. speaking of Sam, since he's the assistant to the minister of education, <laughs> education education workers have also been totally effed over by ford too yeah i was actually uh talking to ospcu president laura walton about this episode and asked her you know if she had any suggestions uh on what we should mention she said you know what isn't there to mention it's just constant just Mm -hmm. when you think the ford government's done effing them over something starts again yeah, and, and OSBCU actually just released a very comprehensive report called Education Worker Wages, the Impact of 10 Years of Cuts, which states, and this is a quote from the report, over the past decade, wage increases that have trailed inflation have resulted in almost $1.3 billion in cost savings just from QP members' incomes. In-year savings for 2021 are almost at $225 million. 
QP annual income would be $4,085 higher in 2021 if this money had been allocated equally to the 55,000 members. Over time, this wage gap has had profound negative effects on education workers, financial and personal well-being, but the issues have extended to the school boards themselves who are facing significant recruitment and retention problems related to the uncompetitive wages. Yeah, I'm really glad that they released this report and I love how much work um, that folks at the OSBCU and education Mm -hmm. workers across the province have been doing um, throughout the pandemic. And even before that, um, with all the shutdowns over the pandemic, school board workers have been hit so hard. There haven't been mandatory screening. There hasn't been the proper filtration installed in schools. Basically, the provincial government ignoring the health and safety of these very, very valuable frontline workers who have been consistently working throughout the pandemic. Yeah, that's really good to mention. And I'm really happy to see the organizing that um, the school board workers are doing right now uh, to build up towards their next round of bargaining. So um, we will definitely stay posted mm-hmm. on on the um, organizing for power that's going on mm-hmm. there. And, you know, the, the Ford government has never taken the steps to ensure students and school board workers, uh, you know, are safe in, in their mm-hmm. schools. And then we can't forget when conservative MPPs described a school council and black student success committee as a quote mob pursuing a quote woke cancel culture after students decided to change their school's name to better reflect the community. Wow. So they even went after an elementary student trying, they even went after elementary students trying to make the world a better place. (laughs) Well, I think that's definitely on brand for the Ford Conservatives. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Yeah. Wow. Just like their complete disregard for the climate emergency. It's so bad that there are actually seven youth suing the Ford government over it. They're suing the government of Ontario for weakening its climate targets because it will lead to widespread illness and death, violating Ontarians' charter protected rights to life, liberty, and security of the person. Their case also argues that Ontario's 2030 target of reducing greenhouse gas emissions to 30% below 2005 levels is inadequate, unconstitutional, and must be struck down. Yes, the case is still working its way through the court system, but I'm glad they're taking action. It really shouldn't have to be this way and is absolutely shameful. Um, we talked about when GM left Oshawa a few years ago, mm-hmm. and they've actually since returned, um, paying lower wages than before. But mm-hmm. uh, Doug Ford told these workers that there was nothing the government could do to help them. He's like, you know, he said like the, I think he said the train left the station, folks, or something like that. Mm-hmm. So even Sounds though there like was something a, he would yeah, say, I'm pretty sure that's what it was. Even yeah. though there was a feasibility study on the value of you know electric vehicles, and so now we are here a few years later, and he's taking credit for jobs coming back to Oshawa. But in 2018, the Ford government canceled the electric and hydrogen vehicle incentive program, and he says he won't be bringing it back. He won't give Ontarians rebates to buy electric vehicles, even though electric vehicle sales are lagging and we're going to start making them in Ontario. Yeah, and Matthew and I were talking about that the other day because, you know, we're kind of in the market sort of looking to get a new car Mm -hmm. in the future. And he's like, I would love to get an electric vehicle, but 
you know, it's hard because that incentive program is gone and, you know, everything is turning electric anyways. So he's like, I just, I'm going to wait, I'm going to see and save our money, but it's so crazy. And, and now that electric vehicles are being made in Ontario soon, we really need a government that supports this. So the Narwhal is tracking all the devastating cuts and the impact on the environment that the Ford government has had. And we'll link, uh, we'll link that in our show notes too. So they state four days into his job as premier, Doug Ford announced that the end of Ontario's $3 billion cap-and-trade climate program as his government's first policy decision. Since then, the progressive Conservatives have made dramatic changes to the province's environmental policy. Yeah, and we don't have time to list all the ways the Ford government has totally turned their back on climate justice, so we really hope that folks will visit that list and visit that link by the Narwhal. Mm. Um, From slashing funding for Indigenous conservation efforts and other environmental initiatives, to building highways through the Green Belt, to repealing the Toxics Reduction Act, cancelling the $50 million tree program, the list literally goes on and on and on. Yeah, basically Doug Ford is Hexus from Ferngully. Oh my god. So yeah, if anyone's seen Ferngully, that's Doug Ford. And you know, of course, I think Joni Mitchell may have been preemptively thinking about him um, when she said uh, the line about paving paradise to build a parking lot or to put in a parking lot. And I just yeah. also want to mention, you know. I do know yeah, that song. Yeah. <laughs> Love that song. Yeah, and also there was the, a redo of that song back in the day with, um, oh, I can't remember, Vanessa Carlton, I think. I could be uh-huh. wrong. It might be someone else, Michelle Branch. It was either Michelle yeah, Branch yeah, or Vanessa yeah. Carlton. Anyway, but Joni Mitchell, the OG of that song. And I also just want to mention, um, you know, there's been so many, like our hospital workers, our long-term care workers, there's Mm -hmm. so many sectors that have been totally effed over by the Ford Mm -hmm. government in this pandemic who, um, please check the Ford tracker and see how cuts that came before the pandemic have impacted them and literally caused, you know, frontline workers to die. So this is Mm -hmm. huge. Um, And with the, you know, and, and laying, like laying the path for future destruction. It's just been really, really mm-hmm. horrible. Mm-hmm. And I guess on, on that note too, actually, uh, I want to encourage folks to check out the uh, campaign that OCHU and SEI uh, SEIU and Unifor are doing together, and it's uh, if you wanted to look it up, it's on. I just shared uh, I just shared on my Twitter the other day, and so it's um, it's it's hashtag save hospital care and they actually have commercials on tv right now about all of the cuts and what hospital workers are going through how they're facing like unprecedented burnout and Mm -hmm. violence and safety and staffing issues and um you know they're in bargaining right now too and it's just you know it's crazy so check out o2 uh o2 qp check out if you want to check out michael hurley he always has some amazing tweets um but check out the hashtag save our hospital care and maybe you'll see the commercial because i i was watching what was i watching i think i was watching it's a big brother and i saw it come on and i was like oh my god it's the commercial (laughs) and yeah, I wasn't expecting yeah, to yeah, see yeah. it because I had known that it was out, but I hadn't expected to see it. So I'm watching my brother and it comes on. I'm like, this is the commercial. Oh, wow. It's very impactful. It is. I think it was a Pam Parks it, who actually shared it in the Durham region, um, like WhatsApp group that we have with like a bunch of like QP activists. Um, oh, and I saw them there and they were really, really amazing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. So, so yeah, we couldn't, we didn't cover everything, but definitely check that out. But the cuts that the Ford government has made to communities across the province have been devastating. And like we said, it's resulted in so many preventable deaths and illnesses. We all know people, including ourselves, who have been personally affected by Ford's cuts. And so, while, you know, the first half of this podcast feels a little like helpless and hopeless, we have to remember that there is power in organizing and we can fight. Back. Absolutely, Brittany. And the Ontario Federation of Labor, alongside unions, community organizations and community members are organizing events and actions across the province on May 1st, which is also known as May Day or as International Day of the Worker. Yeah, and as a quick history lesson for folks who might not know, workers across the entire country have been organizing on May 1st for centuries. Uh, in the States, a national strike was organized to demand uh, an eight-hour workday on May 1st, 1886. And in some countries, May 1st is actually a public holiday. And it's mm -hmm. not a holiday in Canada, but thanks to my QP 1281 collective agreement, I actually have this day off. It's oh, that's so awesome. The worker, yeah, yeah. I'm so glad you have that day off. I, I'm really excited that the OFL has picked up organizing on May 1st. I uh, I took the day off. I'm supposed to work that weekend, but because I've worked so much overtime, I was able to take that off. So I took that weekend off. And we have seen such huge momentum across the entire province for May Day and... I don't even know how long or ever for that matter. And so far, there are events happening in at least 12 regional areas from Windsor to Niagara to Toronto to Oshawa to Ottawa. And so, you know, when I was originally having to work on May 1st, I was going to um, do some online mm. activities because I could have done those on my breaks. But now that I have the day off, I'm able to participate in like in Niagara. I know we're doing like a little, uh, not a little, we are doing a rally. And so I'm able to participate in the rally itself and, you know, set up a table with my local and you know help organize so if you are someone who has to work on on may the 1st still check it out because there are online things that you can do as well on your breaks if you want that's awesome and i think it's super exciting to see everyone organizing regionally and this province-wide day of action is for a worker's first agenda and includes everything from a 20 dollars minimum wage paid sick days, repealing bills 124 and 195, reconciliation, climate justice, and more. Yeah, totally. Everyone is encouraged to take action by taking part uh, in May 1st by attending an action or event in your area. You can join an organizing group uh, currently. Um, and then you can also uh, state that you're going to be voting for change during the Ontario provincial election on June 2nd. Uh, you mm -hmm. can take a pledge to join both of these actions by visiting the OFL's Pledge to Put Workers First website page uh, that we'll leave in the show notes. And if you're attending the event in Toronto, please consider arriving early to attend the Labor May Day Rally celebrating the International Workers' Day 2022. And that's at 12 p.m. Sunday, May 1st at Nathan Phillips Square. And then they're marching to the Queen's Park component. So you get like yeah, two, and I think these folks have day. actually been organizing over the last um, few years. Um, they've always been organizing yeah. on May 1st, so great on them that they've been yes. continuing to keep the spirit alive with May Day. Yeah. Yes, That's even great. during the pandemic, they had virtual mm -hmm. events. It never, yeah, so true. And also, just as an aside, um, folks that have um, vehicles may have received a refund check recently from the Ford government mm -hmm. for license plate sticker renewal. Um some are calling that a bribe, uh, but you might want to consider using <laughs> that money. Yeah, you might want to consider using that money to donate to your favorite progressive candidate. Just as a, I saw some people Aww. on social media doing that, so I thought I'd share that. 
You know what I might do? I don't know if either of you remember last year when uh, when we had the federal election, but <laughs> I would go on my social media. I just would go on my Instagram and do a story. But um, the conservatives kept sending me letters. So what I was doing is every time the conservatives sent me a letter asking for my vote, and I don't know why they're sending me a letter. Like I am not voting for conservatives. I have never voted for conservative. I have, I'm always volunteering with the NDP. I always vote NDP. But so for some reason, the conservatives kept trying to send me letters to get me to vote for them. And so I would take the letter and I would go on social media and I would immediately go and I would donate to the local NDP uh, candidate in my area. Uh, I would I would donate to their campaign and then I would like post a picture of the donation mm-hmm. because I just thought it was fun. And I told someone, he's like, you're going to go broke. I'm like, well, at least it'll be for a good cause if I do. <laughs> well, donations, you get 75% back. So at tax time. So oh, that's a good yeah. call too. Yeah. So I don't forget do to, yeah. don't forget to, <laughs> I know you did it, but if you haven't done your taxes yet, Brittany, don't forget yeah. to claim that. <laughs> I really yeah. need to do my taxes. Yeah, me too. <laughs> uh, but the person who does my taxes has COVID. So I can't oh, right now. Oh, wow. I know. Yeah. Again, everyone is affected. Full circle. It's not just full circle. So hopefully May 1st will uh, we'll really get people pumped up to go and volunteer with their local candidates. Campaign. Yeah, that's a great idea. Mm-hmm. And I bet there will be a chance for folks to sign up to volunteer there either in person or remotely. Whatever you feel comfortable with. Yeah, very true. I've managed campaigns before, and I know that I would be there with a clipboard (laughs) signing people up for sure uh, for my candidate's campaign. So, like, what other suggestions do you have uh, of how folks can get involved in the election, Tiffany? Yeah, definitely. Well, there's so many ways for all different types of people with their um, different comfort levels, and everyone has a different experience and and what they're comfortable doing. Uh, So there's truly something for everyone in a campaign. Um, I would say your first step is picking which candidate you'd like to volunteer with. Many are already looking for volunteers. Um, If you don't know the candidate in your area, you can search on social media um, to figure out who it is or just do a Google search of your riding and and see, you know, who your local candidate is. Um, I know I was recently contacted by Jennifer French's uh, Get Out the Mm -hmm. Vote and Voter Contact Organizer to volunteer to keep uh, Oshawa Orange this upcoming election. So they're looking for volunteers, Mm -hmm. just as an example, to help out with Mm -hmm. foot canvassing. So that's door-to-door canvassing, um, which I'm sure they're doing safely with masks and that kind of thing. I know you've canvassed during the pandemic door-to-door, Brittany, in a safe Mm -hmm. manner. But there's also phone banking for folks that um, prefer, you know, the phone phone methods of things. Or literature drops where you're kind of just dropping lit in mailboxes or in the door. And a sign crew where you go out and put up the signs and and even more. Those are just some of the examples. And all experience levels are welcome. And training will be provided. And I've seen that the NDP just generally has been offering online training over the last, you know, year. So you can also sign up for a list there. And, you know, um, all campaigns need help. Uh, and, and there's also other opportunities too, like if you're really good with databases or keeping data, usually they need like a database coordinator, or if you're really great with fundraising, sometimes they need someone to help fundraise. So these are just some examples. Yeah, it kind of sounds like all you need is an interest in helping the NDP win and they will provide the rest to you. Sometimes there are barriers yes. to participation like family obligations or not being able to do things in person. Can people also volunteer remotely? Yeah, I actually, I know uh, I volunteered with the federal election and I did foot canvassing, but phone banking, like Tiffany said, can definitely be done remotely. 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, depending on the campaign, um, because different campaigns have different resources. Um, but if you have an interest in helping, they will find a place for you uh, remotely or in person. So really, mm -hmm. the first step is to contact your local candidates, uh, you know, information. Not all candidates have campaign offices, for example, so you can't just like find the campaign office and, and walk up. I volunteered on campaigns before where the campaign office was the candidate's like garage <laughs> or something like that. So um, I so, you know, you're going to want to find their phone number, social media or email. That's the best way to reach out and volunteer. If you do live in a community where mm -hmm. there is a campaign office set up, like totally mm -hmm. just walk in. Awesome. Yeah. And also, if you see a candidate door knocking or their team knocking on your door, make sure that you hold them accountable. Yeah, so like I know some sectors like OSBCU, for example, are actually providing um, a list of questions for their members to ask candidates when they're at their doors. So, for example, you know, if a conservative comes to their door, they can ask them and they can hold them accountable and they can say, you know, why have you made cuts and why had what about Bill 124? What are you going to do about that? And so instead of like, you know, sometimes we don't answer our doors um, and we turn the lights off and walk away, but don't do like hold them accountable and let them know how their cuts and what they have done has actually impacted you and your family. Mm -hmm. You know, they act, they need to realize what they've done. Um, mm -hmm. So look out for for those sorts of things on social media, um, like the the questions like I was talking about that OSBCU has, um, or you can connect with your sector rep for more information. Well, thank you so much, everyone, for tuning in to this episode of the CupyCast. We want to take a moment to thank all the CUPE Ontario staff involved with this episode. Without them, this podcast wouldn't exist. If you have future podcast ideas, as always, please email us at info at and we also want to thank our amazing producer, Mohammed Akbar, for being the edit master. This podcast would not sound as great as it does without his talents. And we want to wish everyone a happy QP Ontario convention. Convention is happening this week virtually, and we look forward to seeing you there. Also happening during convention and in the wider labor movement is the National Day of Mourning on April the 28th. The Day of Mourning was created to remember workers who lost their lives on the job and to inspire others to advocate to prevent future tragedies. So check out your labor council for any in-person or virtual events that may be happening. Yeah, you. and also happening in May, we have a bonus episode that's coming out, which is super exciting. Um, on April 22nd, we hosted our very first live podcast Yay! in partnership with the Niagara QB Council's Women's Committee, which was absolutely amazing. Um, and in this episode, we talked about the importance of women's committees, menstrual equity, and the history of women's contributions in the labor movement. Yes, the live podcast, definitely a huge milestone for us. We also wanted to mention, speaking of menstrual equity, that throughout mm -hmm. the month of May, from May 6th to June 7th, the United Way's Period Promise campaign is running. Um, as many already know, lack of access to menstrual products for women, non-binary and gender non-conforming people is extremely common. And the United Way is encouraging people to organize a period promise drive in your community, workplace or school um, to collect a donation of pads, tampons, menstrual cups and more. So folks are welcome to make a financial contribution to the United Way to support these efforts. That's all our announcements for this episode. But before we close out, we want to thank all of our incredible listeners to tuning into this episode of CupyCast. We appreciate all of your support so that we can create these monthly episodes. Sending solidarity. Mm -hmm.